4: The Large Nerdron Collider podcast is a production of iHeartRadio.
5: Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me as always is real boy Jonathan Strickland. I am vengeance. I doubt your commitment to vengeance motion.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I, I didn't say I was good at it, Uh, but I do, Ariel, (laughs) have a question for you. Okay, Ariel, because one of our news items is going to have to do with uh, movie music, I was curious, what are some of your favorite film scores? Not soundtracks. You know, soundtracks would be the ones that have, like, all the different songs attached to them, and we all know the greatest soundtrack of all time is the original Batman film because of Prince's Bat Dance song. But no, I'm talking about the movie score, like the stuff that's playing that plays with your emotions.
5: I mean, you know like classic stuff like Indiana Jones or Star Wars you know any, any, John any sort of anything John Williams or um Lord of the Rings all, uh, Howard Shore and- yeah yeah I mean like that is all fantastic beautiful world building music mm-hmm. um you asked about films I was gonna say Lost Lost has an amazing score to it and soundtrack um but yeah, that's, that's fair. A we TV can throw show. we can
4: throw television in there too. I think that's totally fine.
5: Yeah. So I mean, like Lost would be my first, and I, I like I know John Williams should always be at the top of my list for those because he he wrote so many amazing ones. But um, but it but it's so hard because scores like literally tra- like built my my musical childhood. I spent you know time and band and orchestra playing scores from like Jurassic Park and Back to the Future and things like that so uh it's it's really hard to pick
4: i think it's also interesting that we went through a time for a while and and arguably you could say we're kind of still in it where movies didn't have as many like like recognizable scores, right? Like you would hear music Mm -hmm. from a movie and it'd be really atmospheric and moody and everything, but you might not be able to pin what movie it came from because it wasn't like iconically, I, you know, connected to the film itself, not like say star Wars or star Trek or any of those things. The Marvel movies, I think have had issues with that uh, apart from the Avengers theme, which is actually pretty recognizable. That da 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 that little thing. I mean, like that's recognizable, but I, if you played, I don't know, four or five different themes from the 20 plus Marvel films that have come out so far, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you which ones went with which characters. Uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I, Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, two of my favorites, Superman as well. Another John Williams. Mm. Um, well, I'm going to talk about the yeah. 1970s era Superman. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's, those are all great. You know what? I, there's one movie score that I genuinely like because of the, the mood and I can always tell what movies on as soon as I hear just like a note or two, which is clue. Oh yeah.
5: Oh, clue. Just yeah.
4: a, that do 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 do. It's this little jaunty and yet kind of a dark edge to it. Uh, music for that movie, which is perfect because it's such a goofy And sinister farce. So, um, yeah, I really love (laughs) it is a great movie. It's one of my favorites. Uh, But I, I really love when a film's score is an integral component of the experience of seeing the movie. That's not to say that, like, more atmospheric, you know, pieces that might not be as hummable, let's say, that those don't have a place. I think they do. There's some films that have like Birdman has an amazing score to it. Mm-hmm. That's just like jazz drums going bonkers through yeah, the whole you, thing.
5: You can't hum it. Not, not effectively. Uh, you know, and it's, it is interesting because a lot of movies nowadays rely less on scores and more on just underscoring with singable songs.
1: Yeah. You know, a, yeah. a great
5: one for that is like crazy rich Asians, which has an amazing soundtrack. That is the score for the movie. Um, I'm sure it has actual score, but like, I don't remember that. I just remember all of the, the great song choices they pick for it.
4: Well, let's not talk too much about about soundtracks, because I might I might or might not have another question for you for some future episode where we talk about that.
5: <laughs> we might we might have already. Uh, <laughs> I don't recall. But the reason you're asking is because uh, they just released the score mm-hmm. for the Batman
4: yeah, it's the Batman's theme,
5: composed by Michael. Is it Giacchino?
4: Uh, Giacchino. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I believe so. Yeah,
5: Giac- Giacchino.
4: This is this is where it's revealed that neither Ariel nor myself have any Italian in us.
5: Yeah, I was talking to friends about the score over the weekend because uh, I think it's really beautiful. I think Michael Michael G does a real good job at, at <laughs> writing music. Not Mick G, uh, obviously. though. Not McG. Uh, obviously I, I like the score to Lost a lot. Um I've got some of it on my iPod. <laughs> uh, but um you know, even when they talk to the cast of Lost, they all pronounce his name differently. So um, oh, I don't okay. feel too too badly about it, but so, so yeah. that's why
4: you brought up Lost in particular.
5: I mean, I do really, really love the score.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: I love the score, I love the soundtrack. I really enjoyed the show, even though it definitely went some weird, weird directions.
4: Yeah, well, he's and he's done a lot. I mean, a ton of different pieces. It's one of those. See, it's interesting to me because this is a, a composer whose name I was not familiar with, but I'm definitely familiar with the work. I mean, the yeah. f- the fact that he he did the score for the Incredibles, which has a fantastic film score mm-hmm. um he's worked a lot with jj abrams not just with lost but also on alias uh he did the score for zootopia you know he, he's done a ton of uh of work i uh, did the score for uh spider-man far from home he also did it Doctor for spider-man Strange no way home
5: yep yeah. yeah
4: so yeah he's done a ton of uh of work <laughs> that i've heard but um although i haven't heard no way home yet because i still haven't seen it but mm-hmm. uh yeah it's um uh, I listened to this and I agree. It's a, it's a great piece of music. I feel like, you know, it kind of starts with a little bit. It almost feels a little bit like the sort of the base of, uh, or the, the strings at the beginning of the Imperial March from Star Wars, the dun, mm-hmm. dun, 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 It's almost like that. Not quite the same, but similar. Then it goes into this kind of sad, uh, introspective section and then it slowly builds until you get sort of the more action driven music toward the end. So I feel like it kind of is almost like a snapshot of, of Batman and Batman's psyche.
5: Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, and the song is about what, three and a half minutes or so. Um, it's called water tower. Um, and the Batman movie, the movie, the Batman is going to be two hours and 55 minutes. So maybe we'll get one minute of the score per hour. Um-
4: <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's going to be like all the other Batman things where you get it worked into thematically different parts of uh, the movie. I mean, yeah, like yeah. when I think of Batman scores, the one that always comes to mind is Danny Elfman's, which uh, I actually really liked. I I have never sat down to watch Batman versus Superman or Justice League all the way through, but I have listened to the scores because if you listen to the Justice League score, Danny Elfman works in his old Batman theme in a couple of places. Mm -hmm. And he also works in John Williams's old Superman theme in a couple of places. Yeah. And I, 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 to use some wrestling terminology, I marked out when I heard
5: that. (laughs) Uh, I, I. You know, I, I think people can get context clues as to what I marked out when I heard that means. Um, yeah. <laughs> for people it, it who mean, don't follow it means wrestling, I
4: went banana. I went banana when I heard it.
5: Yeah, yeah. I will say, like the movie The Batman I've talked about before isn't really appealing to me, but I really like this. This score makes it feel like it, it evokes my fondness of Batman when I listen to it.
4: Yeah. I have a feeling I'm really going to dig this movie and it's also going to be the kind where I'm like, I don't think I necessarily want a series of movies with that kind of Mm -hmm. tonal approach to the Batman. But as a one-off, I think I'm going to dig it Um, because I, I don't need the Batman to be super dark and gritty. I'm not one of those types of fans who just demands that, that the Batman needs Mm -hmm. to be you know, really dark and has to be really grim. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it can be a lot of fun to have an, uh, an, a, an adventurous kind of Batman story. Um, mm-hmm. But this one does look like it's going to be right up my alley.
5: Yeah. Uh, m- moving on from, from instrumental to vocal work. We all know that the legend of Vox Machina is coming out soon at the end of this month. And They've just released kind of a behind the scenes video to promote it, where we found out they've got a lot of guest star voice actors
4: yeah. in it. Now, now, for those who don't even know what Vox Machina is or where it comes from, it the, it's an animated series that's based off a Dungeons and Dragons campaign that started as just a group of various voice actors who met regularly to play D&D. Uh, and then later Pathfinder, and then D&D again. <laughs> but, and it was all the same campaign. They just changed rule sets a couple of times because they did fourth edition D&D to Pathfinder to fifth edition D&D. Uh, Makes but, sense. Yeah, they started playing together, and then Felicia Day, the actress, heard about it and brought them over to be part of her YouTube network, Geek & Sundry. Uh, this is like around the 2014-2015 time period. And uh, they began to play their their games in front of a camera. So, like, the early parts of that first campaign they played were never streamed or filmed. That was just for them. So Vox Machina is actually going to be the first time that some of those story components are ever going to be uh, expressly shared with the public. And as voice actors, they happen to know a ton of other voice actors and other types of actors. And they have brought... Kind of a freaking who's who over to voice characters, everything from like major recurring characters to little minor parts.
5: Yeah, we've got David Tennant, we've got Dominic Monaghan, we've got Stephen Root, uh, Kelly, who just Gina
4: Torres, isn't it?
5: Yeah, uh, just a ton of people, yo.
4: Yeah, and there's, and if you're like a big fan of. Video games or anime, things like that, you're probably going to recognize other names on the list. Other prominent voice actors who have done work in those fields, all playing, Mm -hmm. like I said, a whole range of parts. They said that, you know, while they love the fact that their game master did all these voices during the sessions, this was an opportunity to flesh those characters out, give them all Their own voices and obviously not quite give such a heavy lift to (laughs) I think Matthew Mercer, I believe, is the game master. That way he doesn't have to do all like every other character.
5: (laughs) So so one of the things that I've heard about from my friends who love Critical Role is that it's just the sessions are very, very long. Yeah. And so if you're listening to it, it can sometimes have a hard entry point because you might love D and D. You might love their storytelling and their characters and and their methods, but it's so long that it's it's a really big time investment. Um. So you yeah. know, if you're making a cartoon that's more accessible to everybody, uh, I you know obviously you need voice actors. Uh. I, yeah. I just didn't expect it to be quite so star studded. Even though like the voice the voice actors playing the characters are well, well to do voice actors. Like, yeah, I don't know. they're
4: all known in their field. Now, I, yeah. I think that the cartoon is great. It's a great idea to get you into the story because obviously like D&D gaming sessions, like, you know, this, they, they are long because there's a lot of resolving things and rolling dice mm-hmm. and figuring out the, re, you know, what happens as a result of those roles. And you know, adjusting and all that kind of stuff. And some of this stuff is literally something that could be told in like 15 seconds of animation, and it could have taken yeah. you an hour to resolve around the table. So yeah, the sessions could last between like three to six hours, and there could be more than 100 sessions per campaign. So that's an enormous time sink if you're going to go yeah. and watch every single episode. Yeah. This is a a much more streamlined approach to storytelling.
5: Yeah, a lot and a lot of like D&D real play games or D&D podcasts rather uh, do cut out a lot of that resolving dice rolling and just stick it to the story with a little bit of behind the scenes. But critical role is, you know, real play. So,
4: yeah, well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk briefly about some rumored possible reshoots of Doctor Strange and what that can mean. We've got some other news items to cover. Uh, Because there was so much news that happened since our last episode. It's going to take two whole segments to tackle them all. But first, how about that break I darn darn promised?
1: L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com.
2: Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like... How much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to
1: LASIK.com now.
2: Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where
0: to start.
1: L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com.
5: Promise fulfilled. Okay, so the uh, rumor you're talking about is that we are getting more uh, reshoots potentially for Multiverse of Madness, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, rather.
4: Yeah, and Sam Raimi apparently has has said that he isn't sure if the film is finished yet. They've already done some reshoots. Uh, And I think this is probably partly to do with the fact that Marvel is so... Uh, focused on making sure that they have this tightly integrated universe, which in some ways is a great thing, but you also start to see the same problems you would see in the comic books, which is that to get everyone who's working on all these different properties on the same page so that you're telling one massive coherent story that can still be broken up into these individual films and be their own story, that's hard to do. And one of the things that popped in my mind is do you think this might be an indication that perhaps Marvel puts too much on its plate on a per year basis. Keeping in mind that this year we're supposed to get Dr. Strange. We're supposed to get Thor love God of love and thunder. We're supposed to get the, um, uh, she Hulk series. We're supposed to get Ms. Marvel, uh, secret Wars. Sounds like it's been pushed to next year. Um, but yeah, there's like so much stuff. Uh, the next black Panther movie, there's so much stuff that's supposed to come out and, in theory, at least, it's supposed to interconnect. So do you think that maybe they might they might need to pump the brakes a little bit?
5: I mean, I don't know. I, I think in a non-pandemic environment, potentially not. Um, I, I, th- I do think probably some of their reshoots are just because they've had to pivot on a lot of their stuff right now mm-hmm. to accommodate adjusted shooting schedules and availability from actors because... Timelines got all messed up. I don't know. This is just my assumption. I know that there's a lot of pivoting in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so like uh, if if everything was business as normal, maybe not. I mean, movies always have reshoots, right? Or like if you look at Suicide Squad, they made a movie <laughs> and then they reshot and recut a bunch of it because it just – like there are lots of movies that get shelved or reshot because they don't do well with audiences when they screen. Um so it's not an uncommon practice. I don't even necessarily think. I, I, it, I, so I guess I guess my answer is you know no maybe because of pandemic it's a little bit harder and they're they're having to make more adjustments. But like also, there are lots of movies I've watched where things have been cut and it makes the story less than because it makes a plot point jumpy or it gets rid of some some. Uh, growth from point A to point B. When you watch Eternals and we talk about this, this will be a a, a nice good point on that. Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I, I'm glad that they're willing to try to make the story perfect. Although you can also overwork a story. So. Well,
4: and and to the point I was making earlier about with all these interconnected stories, you run the danger of if you go back and do reshoots to change something. Maybe you end up changing something that would have been important as a component for one of your other stories. And now your other story makes less sense because you went back and changed something else that's interconnected with it. And that mm-hmm. see, that's where I'm I'm concerned is that like, I love most of the stuff that Marvel has put out. I am concerned that they're overdoing it now and oversaturating us with MCU stuff, just like on a pure volume level um, it's mm-hmm. not that I'm not enjoying the, the stuff that's coming out, but I do get concerned that if you do have this very intricate puzzle that you're putting together and then bits of the puzzle aren't quite working, so you go back to rework them, you run in danger of affecting the other parts of the puzzle that were also in motion at the same I, time.
5: I mean, normally I'd say yes, but now they've just introduced the multiverse. So if it doesn't line up, whoops, multiverse. <laughs> well, except, um... that
4: the, except that if all the stories involve like the early part of the multiverse, then that gets really complicated. I mean, like, you know, we already know that that like the next Ant-Man movie is supposed to also deal yeah. with the multiverse issues. So, yeah,
5: I the mean, verse, I, yeah, I don't want to I I don't want to be the person who has to keep track of their spreadsheet of how everything we yeah, together like a giant no joke. Ant colony.
4: That's got to be like a full time job.
5: Uh, it must be. But, you know, I, they've done well so far. You know, the TV shows definitely make it more difficult, but I've got to, well, I don't know. I want to say I've got to imagine that they thought that through before they did it. But, you know, if you look at Lost, sometimes they make decisions. They're like, we'll just let the actors figure out how to justify this. So
4: (laughs) yeah, I don't know
5: that that's what Lost did, I just assume.
4: Or you watch a show like (laughs) X-Files where the creator of the show tells you at the beginning of the launch of the show that he has a vision of how this show is going to evolve and then halfway through it becomes clear that either there was no vision at all, or they have gone completely in a different direction than what they were planning, or it was a pretty lousy vision.
5: (laughs) Yeah. Well, listen, Even if it's the beginning of the multiverse, they just go back in time or they retcon something or whatever. You know, they do that all the time. It's so so not
4: satisfying.
5: (laughs) You're right. It's not satisfying. Uh, Which brings me to our next story, which is we just got the trailer for season two of Picard.
4: Okay, but but I want to say this right up front. I, I had no interest in watching the first season of Picard because I felt like it was not holding true to the spirit of the original series. I felt like I felt like all the characters were different people and that Mm -hmm. was just action movie in space featuring these actors who happened to be going by the names of those characters. That being said, I saw this teaser for season two and this one I'm way more interested in.
5: I know. Right. So I watched season one of Picard and I enjoyed it. It was definitely different. Um, and it, but it was an interesting story, and and it kind of drag it, it dragged a little bit at the end for me. But it was an interesting story. Just like I'm enjoying season four of Discovery, I'm way behind on it, but I've started watching it. Um, I'm glad I stuck with Discovery past the first season, maybe second season. I've really enjoyed the last two. But yeah, this this new season, they're they're playing with time travel, which again gets very frustrating, and you know time loops and paradox, and it's it's something that Star Trek has always made a big deal about and then still played with. Um <laughs>
4: Yeah, they 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 travel back to the far distant future of 2024 apparently.
5: Ooh, goodness. Uh but you know, they're bringing back so many people I love like Guinan and Q and like now I just now I just have to watch it. This is the best Spiner's characters in, in Star it. Trek. Yeah. Well, he was in the first season too. Oh,
4: was he? I I didn't yeah. watch it cuz I was like, nope, I'm yeah. I'm peacing out. But yeah, season 2, I feel like There's something about it like and and maybe it'll turn out that the the shows end up being very much action movie set in space with Star Trek character names, because that's one of the things that I know a lot of fans who are like the super hardcore fans get irritated about because the original Star Trek series wasn't really that actiony. The movies were, but the Mm -hmm. series weren't largely because of things like budget, but also because it was meant to be a thoughtful show. And not mm-hmm. not a Pew Pew Lasers show. Um, and I'm hopeful that we're going to get a little bit more of the thoughtfulness. When you have the character of Q in there, the whole purpose of Q is to create these moral puzzles where there's no clear right answer and see how the characters mm-hmm. navigate them. So I'm hopeful that that is what you're going to get with season two of Picard.
5: Me too. And, and it's what I've, it's how I feel discovery has gone in the later seasons as well. Very, very moral, thoughtful, you know, sometimes a little heavy handed in it. In fact, not that, not to say that earlier Star Treks weren't heavy handed in it.
4: Well, Ariel, let's, let's transition from Star Trek to what is, you know, obviously the superior of the Star franchises, Star Wars. Um, I don't really mean that. Those are I'm just, fighting words. I'm just trolling. <laughs> Uh, But yeah, one of the stories that that you found for this week is that there are uh, three new Star Wars games that are in development uh, among a a very, you know, various studios. And that like we're kind of entering into, you could argue, the age of Star Wars games. There was a long time where there was like a drought of Star Wars Mm -hmm. games content. Uh, Lucasfilm. Uh, disbanded the LucasArts uh, uh, division, and like it just seemed like for a while that we were not going to get any really good Star Wars games. Then we got Squadron, which was, you know, a lo- I think a lot of people really liked when it first came out. I don't think it had very much staying power, unfortunately. And um, now we're learning about uh, three new Star Wars games being overseen from uh, a Respawn Entertainment, which was uh, in charge of uh, lots of of other titles that you would recognize. So that's pretty exciting. And that, By the way, those three titles, that's not the only Star Wars games in development. Those are three from that specific studio.
5: Yeah, so they're working on a first-person shooter, a strategy game, and then Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which is being directed by Stig As- uh, uh, Asmussen. Um, mm. I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name either. I should have looked that up. But he led development for uh, the first game as well as God of War 3, which God of War 3 was a really fun story to follow. So I look forward to that a great deal.
4: Yeah. And, you know, we've got, like I said, other games that are in development. There's a remake of the Knights of the Old Republic game. That's mm-hmm. coming out from uh, Asper Knights. Then you've got Quantic Dreams uh, game High Republic, which is another Star Wars themed game. So, yeah, we're getting a lot of of Star Wars world building games in there. And I'm 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 hopeful they will all be really good quality. Uh, and, you know, they'll be making me feel a love for Star Wars like the Mandalorian, as opposed to a on uh, we about Star Wars like Book of Boba Fett.
5: Look, the, the Book of Bubble <laughs> Fett is uh, it's OK. I
4: have not it's watched. Not the great. I have not watched episode four yet. And by this time, that time this episode comes out, episode five will be out. I sure hope. They made me feel better about the book of Boba Fett.
5: <laughs> I look. I just, I just watched the the one that a lot of people had issue with with uh, the the speeders, the speeder gang.
4: Yeah.
5: Um, and it was it was okay. It was it could have been done better, but it was okay. Yeah. There's some bits I mean, of that I really didn't like. I won't I won't ruin them for people who enjoy Boba Fett but are not caught up.
4: Yeah, there, are they're I've got a lot of thoughts about that, but maybe we'll just save them for like a post mortem on the book of Boba Fett mm-hmm. once it's complete, because maybe it'll be one of those slow burn things where at the end of it, I go, wow, now I see where they were going and I think it's great. Um, yeah, but uh, let's uh, let's finish up our news. We've got a couple other little quick stories. One of them is that uh, Blizzard, as in the 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 division with an Activision Blizzard has a survival game in the works that is not tied to their other
5: IP. Yeah. The artwork for it looks really pretty. It kind of looks like it's going to jump between two lands, like a more modern world and then kind of a fantasy world. Uh, And we don't know much about it other than it's got some pretty artwork and um, yeah, it's not Starcraft, Warcraft, Diablo or Overwatch.
4: Yeah. Uh, I guess what we also know is that if Microsoft's plans go through, by the time this game comes out, it'll be a Microsoft Activision Blizzard game.
5: I guess so. It'll <laughs> be interesting to see whether they put it on uh, PlayStation or other not Microsoft consoles.
4: Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I I think that it looks interesting. I, I always get excited when a game company goes beyond It's IP, like, of course, I love it when I get another entry into a series I really like, like whenever another Fallout game comes out or another Elder Scrolls game comes out, I get excited. But uh, it's really nice to also see companies that are known for specific properties to go outside of that, because I know that somewhere down the line, there's a development team that felt very passionately Mm -hmm. about this idea. And yeah. the fact that they got the chance to actually bring it to life is is pretty cool.
5: Yeah. And that's really all we have to say on that. We do have one last story. I know we're running a little long, but I really want to talk about this trailer that Jonathan, I think Jonathan put this up here. Yeah, I put it, it up. Did. I don't recall. Uh, it's I called it Our F- Our Flag Means Death, which is a new show coming to HBO Max. And I looked at the title and I was like, what, what even is this? And then I watched the trailer for this Comedy pirate show that's gonna happen, and I am all in.
4: I can't believe you didn't say you are on board.
5: I'm on board. <laughs> Yar, me hearties.
4: Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's actually the based off a real pirate, Steed Bonnet, who was known as the Gentleman Pirate. Uh, he was a landowner who turned to piracy, and so it's loosely based on actual historical events. Uh, Steed Bonnet being played in this by Reese Darby, who is the the uh, uh, Murray in the Flight of the Concord series and uh, the werewolf, not the swear wolf in the uh, the he, what we do in the shadows film.
5: He um, also he also picks up the uh, kids when they go into the video game in the Jumanji movie.
4: Oh, OK. Like he's I the one who gives that. them their
5: initial quest. Yeah, he's I have not seen
4: seen quest. Jumanji. So that's You're why I didn't realize. Listen out. It's I know, I know it's on the list, but yeah, this one looks, it, and see, it, it's not quite, I wouldn't say it's over, it's as overly silly as some of uh, uh, Taika Waititi, who is actually behind the the series. It's not as o- overtly silly it. as some of Taika Waititi's work.
5: Yeah, I mean, he's also in it. He, he is playing Blackbeard. Yes. Um I, you know, I don't know. Some of it is very silly. It doesn't feel '90s sitcom silly.
4: It doesn't. It it doesn't feel as silly as what we do in the shadows is.
5: That's that's true. But I mean, it's got great uh, other comedy chops. It's got um, Leslie Jones in it. Yep. Uh, who I I absolutely loved the brief moment we got to see of her in the trailer, and I can't wait to watch more. Um, yeah. No, it's just it seems like a very well balanced, funny pirate comedy, maybe a little bit of drama in there. I don't know. Yeah. Surely it's pirates. So there it has to be drama, right? Yeah. I
4: mean, it, when I say, when I say it's not as overtly silly, I don't mean that it's not a comedy, just that it's not quite as like the, the the trailer did not give me the same sort of, uh, absurd parody that you get mm-hmm. with what we do in the shadows. It didn't feel like a spinal tap yeah. kind of thing to me, in other words. But I, you know, again, it was also a trailer. So I'm I'm there. very eager to watch the show. Uh, more pirate I, content, please.
5: Yes. At the very beginning of the trailer, they show like they're getting ready for battle. And um, the guy who plays Hodor, Hodor is in it as well. Uh, I really enjoyed the brief glimpses of his character, but some dude has a squeeze box and they're like, let's get ready. And dude starts to squeeze a squeeze box. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, is this a new musical show? a la gallivant. But no, I don't think it is. No, I'm very sad, but
4: uh, it. yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to see this one when it comes out later this year. So I am, I am, uh, I had not heard of this at all. It had been announced, but it, I, it didn't hit my radar. Um, So I didn't know about it till after I watched the teaser and I thought, okay, I'm I'm sold and at least watching the first couple of episodes of this. So one. All right. Well, that that's our overview of some of the news from this week. There was a ton of other pieces, in fact, a couple that we will cover in just a moment before we talk about our mashup. But before we get to that, let's take another quick break.
7: Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with RYOBI's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done.
4: Okay, Ariel. Ariel. Before we actually uh, do our mashups, can you tell us what two properties are we mashing up and why were they front of mind?
5: Uh, Pinocchio, because we finally got a little teaser for Guillermo Say the name for me, Jonathan.
4: Guillermo del Toro.
5: That. Uh, For his Pinocchio stop motion uh, cartoon, I guess. And it's delightful. It's actually, it made me, it felt very um, like... Fantastic Mr. Fox.
4: Mm-hmm. I can I can see that.
5: And made me want to watch it, even though this might be a slightly darker version of Pinocchio, which the original version of Pinocchio is pretty dark. Knowing that uh, Mr. Del Toro considers Pinocchio kind of a Frankenstein story, um, I absolutely want to watch it. And then the other property we're mashing up is Lord of the Rings because- uh we just got the title of the new lord of the rings second age uh television show for amazon and it's going to be called rings of power and i was like well that makes me feel feel like power rangers or green lantern with lord of the rings but then there was pinocchio and we've not mashed up pinocchio yet so
4: right and and since since green lantern's not in the news i was like why are we picking green lantern and then ariel said because of His the rings. ring i'm like oh of Of course, that's of course, that's why I just didn't see it because it wasn't in the news. Uh, So that's when we we switched to Pinocchio and Lord of the Rings. Oh, there's also one other Lord of the Rings news item out there, which is that uh, someone has created a three hour long uh, metal song that is the entirety of the Lord of the Rings. So
5: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he puts some massive work into it. I did not listen to all three hours, but I did flip through at the beginning of his video on YouTube. He's like, this, this really falls into common use. Please, 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 please don't take it down.
4: Well, and and it's, it's funny because so many different classic rock bands and metal bands have, have, uh, uh referenced J.R.R. Tolkien's work and their work. And of course, Christopher Lee has done, uh, metal albums when he was, well, well he did metal albums uh, in, in his history. So like there's, there's a connection between metal and Lord of the Rings that goes back a ways.
5: Yeah. Um, it's interesting. We'll post it on our show notes in case you want to listen to three hours of Lord of the Ring, uh, Fellowship of the Rings, gun metal, if it's still up by then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it, it is interesting. Um, so I guess in case anybody, doesn't know what Pinocchio is a woodworker (laughs) is lonely and he makes a son out of wood and then a fairy brings it to life and there's a cricket who acts as his conscience and he gets into all sorts of trouble because he's a little wooden boy who doesn't know better so that's Pinocchio
4: and his dream is to become a real real live boy
5: yes and that's
4: his dream uh and so spoiler spoiler alert he, he does become one at the end and then, of course, Lord of the Rings is the epic fantasy saga that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote uh, that ended up becoming a sequel to The Hobbit. Wasn't necessarily intended that way when he was first kind of working on it. He's sort of retconned some stuff to make that transition work a little better. But it's uh, it was largely an excuse for him to create legends and stories based out of these languages he had created because Tolkien was a linguist and um, yeah, if you aren't familiar, the general story is that uh, uh some hobbits, which are these uh short little uh human-like critters, uh are taking a ring. <laughs> they're taking the ring to to Mordor whereas the goblins are taking the hobbits to Isengard. But no, they're taking the ring to Mordor uh, where the ring was first forged to unmake the ring because the ring represents the massive power of the big bad guy of the story Sauron. And it is truly an epic. It, it it is one book in three volumes, and of course, those three volumes most famously were uh, adapted into films by Peter Jackson, uh, and that's probably where most people these days have the connection to the Lord of the Rings. Those who aren't you yeah.
5: know, mega
4: nerds like me, who read it once every couple of <laughs> years.
5: But do you read the similar Silmarillion once every
4: Silmarillion? I have read it twice. I have not read it more than twice. It's good, though. And the Silmarillion, actually, that ends up having stories that will be important in the Rings of Power series because. Yeah, the Rings of the Rings of Power, that series is going to take place several thousand years before the events of Lord of the Rings. It's kind of telling you the rise of Sauron, whereas yeah. Lord of the Rings is really the fall of Sauron or the destruction of Sauron.
5: You know, and and like as a child growing up, The Cimmerillion uh, was a pretty dry read. But the, yes, but the stories that they're going to tell in this seem very exciting. And I am looking forward to it.
4: Yeah, me too. So we're going to be mashing up Lord of the Rings and Pinocchio. Who do you want to go first, Ariel? I'll put it to you this way. We're probably going to have to do another break before it's all over.
5: <laughs> all right. I'll go first. Um, And my story actually... Uh, deals with uh, Denethor, who was the steward of Gondor, Gondor being like the most powerful, um, most prominent kingdom of men in Middle-earth in the Third Age, um, mm-hmm. and his two sons, Boromir and Faramir. And yes. in the books, spoiler: Boromir dies.
4: Yeah, it's played by Sean Bean in the movie, so you immediately know better. he's going to die. Yeah.
5: And uh, Faramir is his other brother, played by David Wenham. Um, who so doesn't die? This is. Who doesn't die? This is very... He goes on to be in Van Helsing. Um, so this is very... Not canonically. <laughs> um, not canonically. Okay. So this is my... Uh, and Denethor is is the leader of Gondor, the most prominent kingdom of man. Okay. So this is called Denpeto's Two Sons and the Stewards of the Gondor Workshop. <laughs> okay. So Denpeto, a.k.a. Denethor was a master woodworker. He was the best woodworker in all of Italy. Everyone from near and far knew about his store, the Gondor Workshop. And Denpedo was desperately lonely. I mean, he had some pets and stuff, but what he really wanted was a son. So one day he carved one and named it Bornochio. One night, while wishing on a star, much to Dempeto's delight, a magical blue elf showed up and brought little Bornochio to life. And I don't mean like making this little wooden boy come to life now it's a live wooden boy, the magical creature turned Bornocho into a really real boy. And for a short time, everyone was happy. Bornocho was a help around the house, eager to please and fearless, but it didn't take long for Denpedo to realize how much work a really real boy was. And as much as he loved Bornocho, Bornocho was a handful and often let his ambition get him into trouble. Denpedo barely had time for his woodworking, now, Bornochio had recently started asking his father for a little brother, so Denpedo obliged, figuring at best the blue elf would show up and aliven this new child as well as Bornochio and his sibling could keep each other entertained. And at worst, Bornochio would have a new My Buddy toy. However, Denpedo, now having very, a very active son and not much time for, for woodworking, didn't have as much time and attention to devote to carving this new son. When he finished carving it, he thought that's fairly good and good enough, and wished upon a star hoping for the blue elf to appear again. She did, and once again, she brought this new boy to life, although this, he was wooden, because uh, you don't get that lucky. And Dempeto named this new fairly good and good enough wooden boy Faramir. But Faramir wasn't good enough. He was just fairly good. You see, his features weren't as finely chiseled as Bornochio. Dempeto had had less time invested in him. But that didn't stop Faramir. Faramir was gentler, calmer, and more level-headed than Bornochio. While Denpeto loved Faramir, sure, Faramir was more of a puppet to him. And so Denethor always favored Bornochio more. And whenever Bornochio got into trouble, Dempeto would send Faramir to bail him out. One day, while on an errand for Dempeto, Bornochio met some rowdy hobbit boys and decided to join their gang of infinite carousing and el- elevensies. Dempeto sent Faramir out to find Bornochio, which he did, but getting him safely out of the Hobbit gang was difficult and took a long time. You see, Bornochio was corrupted by their thoughts, and he didn't want to leave. He thought he could lead the gang himself, and Faramir wanted to get him out without fighting. So it just took a long time, and when the boys didn't return home, Dempeto got worried and went out searching for them, but he couldn't find them. And in his regret for being so careless with his sons, he threw himself to the sea to be devoured by the giant whale font named Monstro. When the boys got home and couldn't find their father, the blue elf appeared and told them what had happened. They asked if there was anything they could do to rescue him, and alas, there was not. After a respectable time of mourning, Faramir took over the Gondor workshop, and it was more successful than ever, and Bornochio went off adventuring again. Some say he fell back into the gang of hobbits, some say he died, and some say he hides up in the attic of the Gondor workshop in shame, blowing the opening and closing horn each day. The end.
4: Well done. I think the whale (laughs) of font might've been my favorite part.
5: Oh yeah. I liked, I, you know, now I, now I want to see artwork of a whale of font. (laughs) Uh,
4: yeah, I, uh, it is, I, I can tell you for certain that your version and my version are very different. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but my version is a long one. And so, uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to start it And then when I find a good stopping place, we're going to take a break and we'll come back just like Peter Jackson did with the movies.
5: (laughs) Didn't that anger you?
4: No, no, it didn't anger me. What angered me was when he departed from the text and started inserting things like Aragorn falling off a cliff and having a whole near-death experience and all that stuff and creating... Changes in character motivations, making Faramir less of a good guy. That really kind of that kind of was grinding yeah. my gears. But no, we're I'm going to get out. The, listen, this is not one of those mashups where <laughs> it's secretly just holding a very long Jonathan rant. Um, OK, there is some Jonathan ranting in it because you can't get away from that. But uh, no, mine is called Lord of the Puppets or Puppet of the Rings. Yay. Bilbo Baggins has a problem. And it's addiction. He's addicted to many things, rich foods, adventures, showing disdain toward his nasty relatives. But above all, he has an addiction to this ring he won from Gollum so many years ago. That addiction concerns the wizard Gandalf, who knew of a Ring of Power, but was not aware that it was THE Ring of Power. But after the Necromancer of Mirkwood gets retconned into Sauron, it became clear that evil things were set in motion. And since Saruman the White seemed to be going off his rocker, Gandalf took it upon himself to look into this whole ring issue. So then Bilbo has his 111st birthday, and he turns, he uses the ring to vanish in front of all the people at his party, and this is all in preparation for Bilbo to leave Hobbiton behind and go a walkabout in Middle-earth. But Gandalf convinces Bilbo that he should perhaps leave the ring behind. Bilbo, reluctant to do this at first, is finally convinced to hand over the ring to his nephew's care. But this concerns Gandalf even more, cause see, Bilbo's nephew is a wooden puppet that he calls Pinocchio Baggins. Over the last couple of decades, Bilbo has brought the dang puppet with him everywhere, even sets out a dinner plate for Pinocchio each evening, though the puppet is, you know, a puppet. It's just made of wood and strings, it's, it's really kind of sad. But sad or not, Bilbo has found a magistrate in the Shire who has allowed Bilbo to name Pinocchio as his heir, and so once Bilbo leaves, the puppet inherits everything. And the people Hobbiton have already been burned before, thinking Bilbo was dead and gone, so they actually don't go ransacking his home this time. Anyway, Gandalf leaves a warning with Pinocchio so that whomever finds it knows that should shady shenanigans begin in Bag End, <laughs> it would be wise to take the ring and make a break for Rivendell. Enter Samwise Gamgee, the local gardener in Simpleton, prone to flights of fancy. See, Samwise is convinced that Pinocchio is, in fact, a real boy that's just trapped inside the frame of a puppet. Something that I should stress, no one has ever found any evidence showing it. (laughs) And so while visiting Pinocchio one day, the puppet is slumped over a writing desk and there's like a quill slowly dribbling black ink on an otherwise blank piece of parchment. Samwise sees Gandalf's warning note. And you know, there's been talk of these spectral creatures of unspeakable dread poking around the Shire recently, so that seems like something shady enough to warrant a quick getaway. So Sam grabs Pinocchio and shoves the envelope with the ring into Pinocchio's pocket and then drags Pinocchio through the Shire on the way to the small town of Bree. Uh, On the way, he encounters Merry and Pippin, who think it's pretty darn funny that Samwise believes that the puppet's a real boy and they joke about it a lot, but, you know, out of earshot of Samwise, and they totally want to see how far this thing is going to go, so they tag along. (laughs) In Bree, the Three Hobbits and the Puppet encounter a mysterious man known as Strider, but that's really Aragorn, the rightful king of Gondor, and they continue their trip. Uh, There's a brief delay at Weathertop, um, a, a large hill when a bunch of those unspeakably creepy shadow figures attack them, but they get away and they make an escape to Rivendell, where they meet up with Gandalf. Oh, and Bilbo happens to be there too. Uh, Bilbo, of course, is really happy to see his quote-unquote nephew again, but at the Council of Elrond, when there's this big debate over what to do with the Ring, the Pinocchio puppet slumps a bit out of his chair at just the right moment to volunteer to take the Ring to Mordor and be unmade in the fires of Mount Doom. And so, the Fellowship of the Ring is born, and they all take turns dragging Pinocchio through Middle-Earth. That includes Gandalf, Boromir, Legolas, Gimli the Dwarf, Samwise, Merry, and Pippin, and then you got the puppet. Anyway, then they have to go through Moria to get through the Misty Mountains, and they discover the dwarves who had reclaimed Moria were all exterminated, and then Gandalf fights a Balrog, and then he apparently dies, and then Boromir, while trying to get the envelope out of Pinocchio's pocket, scares off the hobbits, and then he gets shot a whole bunch by orcs, and then everyone splits up. This is where we end the first movie. But I got two more to go through. So we're going to take a quick break.
1: L-A-S-I-K
7: Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with Ryobi's 40 volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work done and done. Click into Memorial Day Savings happening now at your cordless power source, the Home Depot. Shop now at the Home Depot or HomeDepot.com. How doers get more
4: done. Do, 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 our story so far. OK, yeah, they fellowship with the ring. All right, now we're picking up <laughs> Samwise ends up taking Pinocchio, the puppet with him on a boat and escapes and they continue their trip to Mordor. And actually, honestly, not a whole lot happens to them for a really good long time. But since we're only really interested in Pinocchio here, we're going to stick with them while everybody else is having adventures that involve like Rohan and Gondor and Galadriel and stuff like that. Anyway, Samwise Gamgee and Pinocchio Baggins discover, well, Sam discovers because, you know, Pinocchio is, and I cannot stress this enough, just a puppet. The Gollum, Gollum's actually tracking them, and eventually Sam catches Gollum, and after a tussle, Gollum and Sam come to an agreement that Gollum is going to guide them to Mordor but Gollum is secretly trying to figure out how to get the ring. It's just, well, you see, puppets freak Gollum out, man. I mean, his sister used to terrorize him with puppets and he's always thought they were really creepy and he has this one recurring nightmare about being in a room, like a dark, shady room, and there's a puppet on a chair and the puppet just turns its head toward him all on its own and then he wakes up screaming and wetting himself. So, you know, there's trauma there. Anyway, they continue on to Mordor, and on the way, they're captured by a group of rangers led by Faramir, the brother to Boromir. But Faramir got hit on the head pretty hard in a recent battle, and he will only talk to Pinocchio. And he says that Pinocchio explained everything, and it totes makes sense so they can keep on going. So then Gollum takes Sam, who's pulling, you know, Pinocchio behind, to Cirith Ungol, which is where this giant spider named Shelob lives. And Pinocchio gets bitten by Shelob, but Pinocchio is just a puppet. So really, Shelob just bites some wood. But Samwise cries out because he sees his friend blinded and paralyzed, except of course his friend is a puppet, which can't see or move anyway, but whatever. So Samwise, assuming Pinocchio to be dead, takes the ring. However, then Samwise hears some orcs who have found the puppet and they're talking about doing some very not nice things to the puppet and Sam realizes that Pinocchio is still alive except again he's a puppet. So Samwise rescues Pinocchio from the orcs and then they keep on going to Mordor without Gollum right by their side because now they totes know Gollum was up to no good but don't worry Gollum is still shadowing them from a distance and at one point Samwise says to Pinocchio I can't carry the ring, Master Pinocchio, but I can carry you. But that's really weird, because he was always carrying Pinocchio, but whatever. Anyway, they get to Mount Doom, and a lot of other stuff is going on in other parts of Middle Earth, but we don't care about that bit, because that's not where Pinocchio is. So they get inside the volcano, and then Pinocchio kind of starts smoldering a bit, because wood and lava don't mix. But Samwise pushes Pinocchio toward a cliff where the ring can be thrown into the lava, except, of course, Pinocchio can't throw the ring, because he is... I repeat once again, a puppet. But then Gollum, overcoming his intense fear of puppets, pounces on Pinocchio in an attempt to wrest away the ring, and he does so, but then Gollum loses his balance in the process and tumbles over the side of the cliff, and Samwise grabs Pinocchio and pulls him out of the volcano, and then they get ready to die. Well, Sam gets ready to die. Pinocchio is a puppet. He's not alive. So Samwise says a sweet goodbye to Pinocchio. But then he sees a miraculous sight, an eagle descending to rescue them. And Samwise and Pinocchio eventually return to the Shire. And Samwise quietly plops Pinocchio back at that same writing desk we saw at the beginning of these movies. And Pinocchio is a bit worse for wear now. Uh, Some of his strings are broken. He's got scorch marks from the volcano on him. Oh, also Gollum bit off one of his fingers, but he is home. And then many decades later, the elves load Pinocchio onto a ship heading to the Grey Havens because they think it's funny. The end. I
5: I love your I love how your mashup of Lord of the Rings and Pinocchio is really just like Weekend at Bernie's.
4: Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. There is an awful lot of Weekend at Bernie's there. I did not, however, incorporate any of Weekend at Bernie's, too, because at no point does the puppet move on its own.
5: <laughs> no, no. Uh, and at first I was like, you're a little me just calling him just a puppet, but he is just a puppet. And that's OK. That is yeah, OK. No, he's, I,
4: he's never alive in my story. He's the, uh, just the, a
5: puppet. <laughs> the very end, the elves having the, uh, the good humor to let him onto a boat. That was that was a brilliant uh, cherry on top.
4: It's always good to have a little extra wood on board in case you ever have to patch a hole in the boat. So
5: I'm glad that's where you went with that sentence. Um.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was my attempt at mashing up Pinocchio and Lord of the Rings. I did originally, I was originally going to have it where Pinocchio was a, a an animated puppet going through Lord of the Rings. But then I thought, well, this is just Lord of the Rings. Let's make it really weird.
5: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I think you did brilliantly, my friend. Thank you. Uh, and to our wonderful, delightful listeners out there, if you've got a different idea of how Pinocchio and Lord of the Rings should be mashed up, you should write us and tell us.
4: Yeah, maybe your idea is that Frodo starts lying like crazy because his nose will sharpen to a lance and he can skewer the ring wraiths or something, because that, cool. that would have been
0: cool. If be
4: you awesome. want to do that, though, if you want to send us like a, a longer version of a mashup that you have come up with, or you just have suggestions for us, maybe mashups that you think you would like us to cover, or maybe discussion uh, topics that you would like us to chat about, please send us an email. The address is lnc at iheartmedia.com.
5: Yep. You can also reach out to us for shorter comments on social media. On Twitter, we are lnc underscore podcast. And on Facebook and Instagram, we are large neutron collider.
4: If you want to see the show notes, the best way to do that is to go to largenerdroncollider.com. We've referenced them a couple of times, but I don't think we've actually said the name of the website for a while. But yes, that's where Ariel puts up the show notes that uh, has a a list of all the stories we talk about, sometimes some extra stuff in there, too. So check that out.
5: Yes. And, you know, if you like the show, we haven't asked you to do this in a while either. Please tell your friends, uh, rate, review, share, all of those other wonderful things, because... We love hearing from you, and the more people we hear from, the better.
4: Exactly. That's really what makes fandom so special, is the actual community. It's not just the fact that we love this geeky stuff. It's that we share that love with other people who also have that love of geeky stuff, and and great things come out of that. We've seen it time and again. So Mm -hmm. until next time, I am Jonathan, the Nine Fingers Strickland.
5: And I am Ariel. Let your conscience be your guide, Caston.